should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out. And it's also hashtag FOF or FOF. Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week to week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Welcome to Week to Week, the political roundtable from the Commonwealth Club of California for Monday, December 14th, 2015. This is our final Week to Week of 2015, and this is the week in which political comedian P.J. O'Rourke wrote, quote, I must, I can, I will be positive about Marco Rubio. I'm a Republican. (laughs) Rubio is the least insane candidate, Lobar, with the best chance, faint hope, of actually beating Hillary, unquote. So... uh, and Melissa, by the way, uh, got to moderate our PJ work program. Was that last week? Uh, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was last okay, week. Okay, great. Oh, boy. So PJ is practically a member of our panel. Uh, thank you again for joining us here in San Francisco. I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week and the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial. On today's program, we're going to talk about this controversy over Muslims in the United States, gun violence, focus on police shootings, the new Paris Climate Accord, and of course, other political news. There's a lot of it. Uh, naturally, the Commonwealth Club of California is a place with a wide range of views among its members and, and guests. So any opinions that are expressed here are those solely of the speakers and not of the Commonwealth Club. Let's meet our panelists for today. I'm going to start, uh, I'll start right next to me at this time. Josh Richmond is the state and national politics reporter for the Bay Area News Group. He's also a political blogger at ibabuzz.com politics. And he's on Twitter at Josh underscore Richmond. Next to him is... Next to him is Melissa Kane, a political, political contributor, excuse me, to CBS San Francisco. She's also the host of the new web series Cheat Sheet. Look for it on YouTube. And she's on Twitter at Melissa Kane one That's the numeral one. And last but not least is Chuck Nevius, a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, and he's on Twitter at CW Nevius. So thank you all panelists. There are question cards, of course, throughout the room. You all know the drill. Just uh, write down your questions and submit them. I will do as 
much as I can to ask as many as possible during this program. So let's get started with the roundtable. Uh, there has been an increase in anti-Muslim violence in the United States following the terrorist killings in San Bernardino and in Paris. There's also been an increase in anti-Muslim rhetoric in this country with some political leaders competing with each other to appear to be the toughest in taking on Muslims in this country or Muslims trying to enter this country. The politician who appears to be, for lack of a better word, winning that competition is Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. He's called for barring Muslims. <laughs> I know, personal favorite of yours. Uh, he's called for barring Muslims from the, entering the country. But it's not just Trump. Josh, tell us what Democratic Representative Loretta Sanchez why she found herself in some hot water yeah, recently. So Loretta Sanchez is running in next year's Senate race to succeed Barbara Boxer. She's uh. a Democrat from Orange County. Uh, the, the leading Democrat in the race is Kamala Harris, but there are a lot of people thinking that because the Republicans in the race are very <laughs> ill-funded and not very well-known, that Sanchez and Kamala Harris could end up winning the top two primary and advancing in November. However, uh, Congresswoman Sanchez put her foot in her mouth a bit last week uh, in talking to Larry King. Yes, Larry King is still out there. <laughs> He's on Aura TV, and he has a, a, a show called Politic King. Oh. But she, they, they had uh, Congresswoman Sanchez on. She's a, a senior member of the Armed Services Committee and of the Homeland Security Committee. And they were talking about uh, the, the president's reaction to ISIS and uh, some of the anti-Muslim rhetoric that's going on and stuff. And she started out on a very even keel. She had made a comment that, you know, you can't judge all people by the actions of a few and so on and so forth. Later in the interview, though, she implied, she didn't imply, she said <laughs> that she's seen studies that from 5 to 20% of Muslims uh, are okay with violence as a means of imposing an Islamic caliphate. Now, the math is bad. The math, <laughs> the math appears to be really bad. Uh, that, that, that would be a, a huge number of people, considering that there are 1.6 billion, with a B, Muslims in the world. It is the world's fastest growing religion, and 20% uh, of them do not embrace violence and terror as, uh, as a means of, of societal change. Uh, so she got heat from... Uh, all kinds of organizations, from, from Asian Americans Advancing Justice to uh, the Council on American-Islamic Relations to uh, the Courage Campaign, big grassroots liberal organization based here in California. They all called upon her to apologize. Courage Campaign actually called upon her to withdraw from the Senate race. She issued a, a statement, not an apology, a statement saying she will not withdraw from the Senate race and people will decide you know, who the best candidate is for herself. I feel like the the headline there is that Larry King has is, a has a yes. show. Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the you know she when pressed on where you got this number from, she said that she just got it from her sort of you know chatting with folks. And okay. Well, I just got back from Alabama, so I got my own numbers. And that's not really, you know, but there has there have been legitimate polls. The most recent one uh, coming out of Europe says that fewer than 1% of people who identify as Muslim believe that there should be a caliphate, which, of course, means a sort of a, a state run by Muslim law, uh, by Islamic law. And, um, you know, but, you know, forget all that. Linda chatted with some folks. Um, so, okay. Um, there was, there's some talk that this might be a strategic thing to do to sort of distance herself from Kamala Harris. 
I'm not sure. Um, Ms. Sanchez, Congresswoman Sanchez, uh, I'm not sure she thinks things through that well to like for this to be strategic. Um, this is the woman who at the Democratic State Convention, you know, was, you know, sort of filmed quite blatantly filmed as in not secretly filmed, but like really obviously filmed um, talking to a group of Indian uh, Democrats and donors, you know, you know, saying, oh, I thought I was meeting um, feathers, not dots, you know, and you know, this is right. I, I so think she actually did. A, she, a said, war she, war. she actually did. Like, they told me I was meeting Indians. I was like, woo, you know, like, um, it's so, one of those brainstem to mouth kind of things. <laughs> yeah, she, 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 she doesn't have the filter quite. So I think it's a little generous to say that this is strategic on her part. <laughs> I feel like she just kind of blah, blah, blah. I was at a PTA meeting and this is what I think. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't read too much into it from a strategic standpoint. Of course, she's not going to jump out of the Senate race. No. I don't know how much it's going to hurt her overall. It's just <clears> another, <throat> you know, it seems like another gaffe. Uh, on the you know increasingly long list of gaps by um, by Congresswoman Sanchez, and isn't this a little bit of what we're seeing in the new politics? If if I hear the words Donald Trump doubled down, you know the oh. number of times he does that, where he'll say something outrageous and they'll say, you know, Mr. Trump, you can't say it. You have to. You realize you've offended millions of people, and he doubles down, and then his numbers go up. I mean, there, I think there's a there's a sense somewhere in America that we love to see the guy that tells it like it is. We were talking about political correctness earlier. Forget that political correctness stuff. I'm telling it like it is. And can you top this? Who can say the worst thing about about the Muslims? And it's just, I think politics. We'll see how it shakes out. But politics are headed in a bad direction if that's the case. Well, let, let's talk briefly about the proposal Donald Trump said. Um, it was to. Uh, initially, it was to prevent all Muslims from coming into the United, United States. Uh, he softened that a little bit, you know, kind of his, well, we'll let the good ones in. Um, and of course, someone asked him, how do you know, you know, how, how do you know someone's Muslim? He said, well, we'd ask them. <laughs> so, um, but, right. Now, there have also been polls showing that a majority of Republican voters, likely voters, I believe, um, support his proposal. And about a third of Democrats, if I, if I saw that poll correctly, also support it. Um, I mean, is that... Well, you know what? It, it's a fertile ground, obviously, for someone to till politically. I ran for, I ran for senior class president. <laughs> and I promised a Coke machine in the gym. And we, we weren't going to get a Coke machine in the gym. And he's not going to ban all the Muslims from America. You know, I mean, you can promise whatever you want. It sounds great. But there's a lot more to this than that. And this is the silly season. This is the time of year when people are going to say all manner of crazy and ridiculous things, and they're going to watch their polls and see where they go. Keep in mind, it's not just a matter of him appealing to voters directly, either, with this kind of stuff. He's drawing the foul. You know, every time the media goes berserk about something he says, every time the White House press secretary says he's unfit to run as a candidate because of something he says, he takes that back to those people as part of the feedback loop, because the media and the Obama White House are the enemies to these people. So if, if the media and the, and the White House and the rest of the establishment are blasting him and disavowing him, that's gold for him. This is a, a, an incredibly efficient, circular thing he's got going on to keep his people, you know, which is about a third of, <coughs> of Republican voters, from what we can tell from the polls, energized, right? It, it works for him. That's why he keeps doing it week after week after week. I would say, Nate Silver, I don't know if you saw this, but he had an interesting comment about the polls and so forth. Um, 
and there's a couple points he made, but one of them was, right now we're polling about a quarter of the people who vote in polls among the 25% of the electorate who identify themselves as Republicans, which if you, if you take that all the way down, works out to about eight, six to eight percent of the overall electorate, which as Nate Silver points out, is about exactly the number of people who think the lunar landing was faked. So, <laughs> right now, his and point is, and I don't know if he's right or not, but his point is we're not getting a great picture. And the other thing he would say is he can show you, hopefully statistically, uh, with, with Google searches, people don't really start to pay much attention to this until the week before the Iowa caucus that it starts to kick in. This is early days. And uh, Trump may go all the way, may go to the convention, that may happen. But, boy, the list of people who are up at this point and didn't make it at the end is, is a long one. There, there's a Republican debate tomorrow night. There's another one, I believe, on the 14th of January and another one on the 28th of January. Watch the one on the 28th of January. Really? Interesting. 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 Yeah. <laughs> right before the Iowa caucus is on February 1st. Mm -hmm. Watch that last one yeah, right yeah, before right there, the caucus right there, and yeah. see, see, see who's saying what on that day. I wish it's going to be like the Hunger Games. Like somebody's going to turn around and there's like, and like flames will come yeah, out yeah. of their yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is on Fox News, yeah, so it's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So, Josh, aren't people dropping out by this point typically? Is it, why, are we, why are we seeing such a large field of Republican candidates still in the race? Because it costs them nothing to stay in. Uh, you know, I mean, why is George Pataki still in the race? Yes, is that, that what you're asking? Yes, that's my yeah. question. Yeah, B because because what else does George Pataki have to do? He's not busy. Really. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not to put too fine a point but on it. But can't he just, his, like, build ships you know. and a little bottle like like, well, like my uncle does? I mean, that's know, what he does. Yeah, I, a hobby would probably be better suited. As, you know, well, I'll, I'll tell you, so today was the deadline to file to be on the ballot in Texas in the primary. And George Pataki and... Um, John, I know Gilmore's the last name, John, whatever, Gilmore, Jim. The, that like Jim, whatever, Jim See, there you go, Jim Gilmore, uh, we're not there, and so that's a pretty good sign that you're not in town, and again, maybe somebody ran in at 659 and was like, here, um, <laughs> but, but so far, as of today, Pataki and Gilmore, whatever Gilmore, uh, is, not, um, is not going to be on the primary election ballot in Texas, and that's a pretty decent sign that you should sell your shares right. in both of those candidates um, right about now because they're... Definitely it, shift over to Lindsey Graham. If you got a, de <laughs> <laughs> if you got a Deadpool bet. going in your office, like these are the two to bet on, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Let, let's go into more of this, uh, not I mean, taking the election further along in the process. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson this week well, got very upset at report. Yeah, he's, he's, his poll numbers are down. When I put him on the cover of the Commonwealth magazine, believe it or not, he was the number one candidate. <laughs> we'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. 
Hence, I think I said something like at the top of the GOP field. So it's your fault. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the Commonwealth Kiss of Death endorsement. Yep. But anyway, uh, he was complaining this week because there were reports out of Washington that you know the establishment party leaders, some of them, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, Rince Priebus, um, had, had been meeting to talk about the possibility of a brokered convention where it's not clear, no one gets into the convention with, you know, enough votes to either take it or almost enough to take it. Um, Melissa, it seems like every election year we're kind of tempted by these, you know, tantalizing ideas that there might be a broker convention just because they're otherwise so boring. They're coronations, right? You think there actually is a good chance of it this time, do you not? I think there's a good chance that um, there either is a broker convention or that California is the deciding state. And I will tell you why. Uh, so remember, in primary elections, you're not vo you're not getting votes; you're getting delegates, right? So when Mitt Romney won New Hampshire in 2012, what he won was seven delegates, right? And you got to get to a certain amount of delegates to win. And it's around 1,250, hmm, 1,237 to be specific. Okay, so you need 1,237 delegates to win. If and and states are you know states vary on how they apportion these delegates and they vary in how many delegates they have. If there are three or more, depending on how Ben Carson does, if you think about Rubio, Cruz, Trump, maybe Ben Carson kind of on the edge, um, if they're all above about 10% but less than 50, right? So we got multiple candidates, at least three, no one is getting the majority votes. There is almost no mathematical way under current rules that anyone is going to get that 1,237 delegates prior to California and without California. And they might actually, even after California, there still not be anyone with that majority. And so that's what he's talking about, talking about a broker convention now. So most votes at a, at a convention are bound, right? So those seven delegates in New Hampshire have to vote for Mitt Romney because that's who they are, they are like married to like Mitt Romney. But in a lot of states, you only have to make, cast that one vote for Mitt Romney once. And then after that first round, you're released. And you can vote for whoever you like. And so when we talk about a broker convention, this is who we're talking about. We're talking about people in states where they only have to vote once or twice, and then they can kind of do whatever they want. And the fact that there's about 218 delegates who can do whatever they want anyway. So there's sort of, you know, most delegates are bound there's a small little pocket that are unbound. The super delegates? The super delegates. That we're talking about. So about 218 super delegates, and then the rest of the delegates are bound, but not for evers and evers, right? They're only bound for one or two rounds of voting. So when we talk about a broker convention, if no one's getting to that majority, no one's getting to that 1,237 vote, uh, delegates, then all of a sudden, the delegates from like Guam become super important. <laughs> and I'll tell you, they are going to be eating steak for <laughs> for the entire the, the whole steak time. In Cleveland. The whole yeah, exactly <laughs> the best steak in Cleveland. They're going to be ferried around by helicopters. Like they are going to be loving life right now. Move to Guam, become a delegate. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of the scenario that we're walking into. Is again that no one's going to be able to get to that majority in a regular debate season. And then we go into the uh, we go into the convention where all of a sudden these 218 folks become super important. And once one round goes through and nobody gets a majority, boom! All of a sudden, you know the shackles are gone, and a lot of people get to vote for whoever they want. And that is when we're all going to Cleveland because that <laughs> sounds so fun. 
Is that true? In Cal is that true in California? You can after the first ballot, you'll be able to vote for whoever you want, whomever, whomever um, you want. Whomever, pardon sir. me, pardon me, pardon me. <laughs> journalist. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the way you That's said that. No, no, I'm sorry. Actually, no, not none. It's kind of pejorative. That's true. I'm sorry. Journalist. I know, right. like I'm not. Uh, no, in, in, no, not the case in California, actually. Okay. Um, okay. California is a winner-take-all state. Of course, we have the most delegates. Um, but the way we're set up, there's only a few delegates. There's only about 10 statewide delegates. And the way you win delegates in California is by winning each congressional district. So it's pretty tricky. Um, again, it's winner-take-all. So whoever gets the most votes in any district wins. But... You know, obviously, you can have really, really widely varying, um, uh, you know, counts in each state. So, so my point is, my point is, this may be the best convention ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was. We should all go. It should all be pay per view. Like they should charge because <laughs> we would all totally pay. Could be great. Yes, we are, but not for presidential elections. The top two doesn't apply to presidential. Not presidential, yeah. yeah. I know, I wish I wish we were. I looked at that. I only know that answer because I had to look because I was like, oh, <laughs> Democrats could be like, yay, you know, but no, we can't. <laughs> Sorry. Although, of course, there's still time. You could re, because if you're a Democrat, you're like, eh, boring. Yeah. Um, if you want to re-register as a Republican, this would be a really good time to do it. <laughs> Just for the thrill of being like, no, Donald Trump. This is, where, for you. this is where so. I emphasize that uh, any comments spoken by the panelists today are those only of the speakers and not of the Commonwealth Club. You protest too much. Oh, like well, I, well, I would say, I, would say I read, two, I read two things. I read two things about a brokered convention. One was, I think it was the Washington Post that said, I'm not sure Carson understands what a brokered convention is. Right. Because he's fighting a tooth and nail, and actually it might be a kind of a good thing for him. And the other thing I read was, Every political reporter in the United States, at some point in election cycle, wants to say brokered convention because it's so much fun to say. So we, we all look for it. It would be great. I just don't see it happening. But yeah, it would be great. Okay. Josh, another thing that's tantalizing people, uh, the question from the audience, do you think Trump is setting himself up to quit the Republicans and run as an independent? Uh, I think the Democrats desperately hope so. I, I, I think I think it's possible. His you know his ego is obviously that large. It depends. It depends on what school of thought you belong to. Is this all the work of of, of one megalomaniac, or, or or did he have some ulterior motive, either to benefit you know certain characters on one side or the other of the aisle? That that could you know if you believe that, then then the answer is either yes or no, depending on who you think he's trying to hurt. Um, I, I think there's a strong possibility of it, in which case it doesn't matter what happens at the convention, really. Um, but, here, but here's the thing. If he goes into the convention with the most delegates, right. let's say he's there. He doesn't have a majority, maybe, but he's got the most. And then there's some little, you know, shifty ledger domain that, that robs him of the nomination. Um, at that point, so it's, what, July 21st. To run as an independent, you actually have to file papers and do stuff in states. You can't just be like, I'm an independent and I'm just going to be on this ballot. You have to do stuff. If as of July 21st, he makes that decision to run as an independent, he's already forfeited well, 178 electoral college votes, include, yeah, I, including Texas, because Texas's deadline to run as an independent is in May. So if he waits to the convention to be, you know, spited uh, and then decides to run as an independent, he's really in some trouble because it's not just as simple as saying, I'm going to be an independent and vote for me. And maybe you say, oh, maybe you're right in. That's difficult, too. You actually have to file, weirdly, papers to be a write-in candidate in 35 states. Mm -hmm. So it's not as easy as just being like, oh, I'll be a write-in, oh, I'll be an independent. 
it's still difficult, which isn't to say he won't do it. It is to say that he, it will not be a winning strategy if he did it. It would just be a Republican losing strategy right. if he did it. It would just it would mess up the Republican election, but it wouldn't actually necessarily, it would be really hard for him to win as either a write-in or an independent if he made the decision at the convention. Yeah. He would have to make it like now. Well, let, let me, let me, let yeah. me say, I don't believe he's going to win <laughs> the, the, the nomination if he ran as an independent, I don't believe he would win the general. I just don't believe he, he is, he would argue, I don't believe he's a winner. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think he may win New Hampshire. You know, lots of people win New Hampshire and don't win anything else. You know, I, I, I think Ted Cruz is going to win Iowa. I think Trump may win New Hampshire. He may even win South Carolina. And then I think come Super Tuesday, when you've got a bunch of southern states where, where Cruz has been laying really strong county-by-county county groundwork, I think you're going to see a big surge there. I think if, if, if Trump does decide to go independent, he's not going to wait till the convention to do it. He's, he's going to be doing it like back in March or April when he sees the writing on the wall. Because if he can't win one way, then he wants to stay in the spotlight another way. That's the way to do it. So. And now that Ben Carson is also making noise that he will also not participate in a Republican convention that is a that is a bunch of thieves stealing the nomination from the rightful people, uh, the idea of a Carson... Um, I'm sorry, Carson, Carson Trump, Trump. Um, independent ticket uh, is one that could do some serious damage. Now, to the Republican. Yeah, oh, to the Republican to the party. Right. Yeah. To the Republican nominees, whoever they are. Yeah. And I mean, Ralph Nader did some serious damage. I mean, it, it, an, independent, an independent run can really be a problem. But I would like to note that, that Melissa got audible gasps from her comments. So I think that's pretty impressive. <laughs> that's what I go for. It's kind of my thing. <laughs> Uh, someone in the audience asked, uh, is it possible Bernie Sanders might want to do a third party? Uh, no. no? I, I, I'd be stunned. I can't imagine. Well, he might, but I don't th he, that, that, that's what I, mean, I don't think would make any difference one way or the other. I mean, he's, he's, he's the one, one he could do a person on the Democratic who's, uh, who's actually an independent. Right. Who, who, yeah. he, he couldn't claim he was being disloyal. He's not a Democrat. Yeah, I, I think that would go counter to what, what he set out to do in this race. I, I just, I don't, I don't imagine that. Okay. Well, and also, the Socialist Party is not... I don't on the ballot and again because there's like a whole there's a whole way of getting on the ballot which democrats and republicans have republicans have made very difficult of course so um, <laughs> so the socialist party isn't necessarily on statewide ballots he would have to go through the same thing run as an independent or as a write-in candidate it's not it's not like he could just run as a socialist and sort of be on all the state ballots uh that wouldn't work and so to uh to continue what he's doing to josh's point no okay well were Trump to just decide to, I'm going to screw up the Republicans, I'm going to screw up the campaign, I'm going to go off third party, it might sound outlandish, but he's kind of known for doing outlandish things, saying outlandish things. His lawyers are known for being very in-your-face as well. The reason I bring this up, and some of you may have seen this because it was in the Washington Post and elsewhere, Donald Trump's lawyer sent a letter to... Um, uh, uh, Florida businessman who's connected to George Bush, George Bush or at least a supporter of him. And uh, Jeb. Jeb, did I say George? Yes, Freudian <laughs> slip. Sure that's not machine. the first time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jeb Bush, one of uh, the lawyers for a Jeb Bush PAC, a political action committee, wrote a letter. And this letter became widely distributed. It, if you think 
sorry, uh, Melissa, but if you think lawyers are like boring and, and over, this letter is, is delicious. And not just because you, you might not like Donald Trump, but it's so just in your face where he's saying, um, we are intrigued but not surprised by your continued efforts to silence critics of your client's campaign by employing litigious threats and bullying. Should your client actually be elected commander in chief, will you be the one writing the cease and desist letters to Vladimir Putin or will that be handled by outside counsel? <laughs> it actually then takes this other lawyer to task for not knowing the intricacies of leadership PACs and other types of PACs, super PACs. Um, uh, where is this? This is so good. If, you're, if your client is so thin-skinned that he cannot handle his critics' presentation of his own public statements, policies, and record to the voting public, and if such communications hurt his feelings, he's welcome to purchase airtime to defend his record. And it concludes with, just as your client is attempting to quickly learn the basics of foreign policy, we wish you personally the best in your attempts to learn election law. <laughs> This makes the whole election it was, worth it to It me. was the best I mean, snarky legal letter I've ever seen in my life. It was. So I, I think there's two things there. First, it's a lawyer with a sense of humor. So we right. want, yeah. to, we want to say that's... that's uh, another yeah. lawyer with a sense well, of humor. No, I mean, another lawyer. Of course, what mm -hmm. I meant to say. Absolutely. And the other thing is that we keep waiting for reality and Donald Trump to collide. And it, it, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's happening, but occasionally we get, a, we get a taste of it here. At some point, there has to be an accounting for the things he's saying and the things he's doing. And God knows the media has, has predicted his downfall over and over, and I'm sure we'll do it again here, but um, it's unsustainable. It just has to be unsustainable. And that was a great example of exactly the kind of bluster that doesn't do anything. Here's the thing. He's already changed the game in a way, right? It doesn't matter. It, he, let's, let's say he doesn't even come close to winning the nomination, and we don't need a broker convention. It's Ted Cruz's, you know, you know, to race, you know, without any problem. Let's just say that for a second. And, and let's say Trump also decides not to run as an independent. Let's say we get to, like, May, and Donald Trump is done. He's out, he's gone. We don't hear another word from him for the rest of the year. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people, 
So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it. You know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. A third of the Republican Party thinks that he should be the President of the United States. All right? Say the polls are wrong. Say it's only a fifth. 20%. The party now needs to figure out how to relate to those people, because they need those people to come vote in November, and also how to distance themselves from those people, because they will be toxic to, to, to other, you know, other, other causes, you know, other campaigns and committees and stuff down the ticket. The, he has put the GOP in a bind that's gonna long outlast his own candidacy, right? Even if he go, it went away tomorrow, they'll still have to figure out a way to deal with this. And I don't think anybody has yet. They're just trying to get, get to election day, and then they'll figure out the rest later. But it, it's, a, it's a big deal for the Republican establishment. They, they are not sure what to do with this at this point. He, he mobilized, he, he took the, the monster that they built over decades, bent it to his own will, and even if he disappears tomorrow, they still like him. The party's over here. What do you do? Well, and, and Josh is a lot smarter than I am, of course, and knows a lot more about I, this. But I don't think the Republican that's true. Party said the same thing about the Hispanic vote. You know that they were going to have to do something about it. They're going to have to court this vote. They didn't do it. I mean, the great ship of the GOP sails on, and it's going to have to hit an iceberg before they decide to change their tactics. And I think Trump is, as Josh said, the logical conclusion of what they've built so far. But they're going to have to change. And you, you cannot, in this country, ignore and insult the Hispanic vote expected to win a national election. It's going to be very difficult to do. Melissa? Well, I think also, I mean, just from a, no matter what candidate you are, no matter what party you're in, he has changed the game from here on. It is no longer I'm going to knock on the door and pretend to like your Mima's banana pudding. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to spend my own money and say outrageous stuff and get on TV. And then media will do my work for me. And so there's, so there's two things here. There's, there's this idea that we can sort of, to some degree, forego the ground game and just rely on television, basically, to run the campaign for us. And the second thing is, now that we've got this, you know, uh, to some degree, unlimited amount of money that can come into any campaign, cut out the middleman. Why do we need a Koch brother funding someone when a Koch brother could just run? Right? And then say, hey, I'm super independent because I have all this money and I don't need to raise it from anyone else. So these two, these two things, this ability to get beyond the door knocking and the community events uh, and the sucking up to everybody in Iowa and the, and the idea that, you that it's a bad thing to be wealthy and not have to fundraise 
are two things that we're going to live with, I think, d despite, you know, whatever you think, Republican, Democrat, whatever, already. Oh, what's his name? The guy who's the, who's the owner of the Mavericks? Uh, Mark Cuban has already said, you know, I'm thinking about running too. Why shouldn't I, right? Um, because again, why, why pay for a puppet when you can just do it yourself? <laughs> and I think that there, that there, we are going to be in for a lot more candidates that look like this. And I know California does not have a good history of liking these folk, but, um, but, but this idea of being an independent and being outside the system um, is one that I think we're going to see replicated over and over again, regardless of your party. And I think we're seeing a. A question if the media is being complicit. And I, I don't know if you saw it, if you, if you read The Bad Reporter in the Chronicle, do you read Don Asmus? And he had a terrific panel uh, this week. It was uh, CNN announces two hours special. Is Donald Trump getting too much media coverage? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who's feeding this? It's, it's us. It's us. We, we, we did have a question from the audience about the media's complicity in it. But let me jump to, so we can move on, let me jump to, we've got a lot of great questions, thank you. Uh, but let me jump to, people talk about Trump as a narcissist, what about Ted Cruz? He's totally okay with bankrupting the United States and shutting down the government. If he doesn't get his way, why don't people see Cruz as dangerous? That, that's kind of the miracle of Donald Trump, really. He made Ted Cruz look like a moderate. <laughs> right? This is the reasonable alternative now. <laughs> Let, let, let's uh, connect this to the Democrats. We know the Republicans will find something new to attack Hillary Clinton on. What will it be, do you think? Uh, there isn't enough out there already? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, their, their question kind of went on, suggesting like with John Kerry, it was you know, attacking him on his military record. Right. You know, in other words, do you think there's going to be that kind of thing where they'll grab something that's not been that you wouldn't even think of as being sure. a weakness. I mean, she's been in public life for, for you know, more than 20 years. That, you know, there, there, there's, there are 25 years. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll find something. Okay. I don't know. I feel like she's Listen. been picked over so much. It's like Hillary Clinton has a nose hair. You know, it's like, why? <laughs> yeah, everything don't, don't. she does, everything, every shoe she wears, every right. haircut, it just gets picked over. And I'm not saying it's unfair, but I'm saying I can't imagine there's something out there that has not been... <laughs> seen, addressed, made a headline on some blog somewhere. And although it doesn't seem like it, I thought the best thing that happened to her was the Benghazi hearings. Mm. Because she looked like... <laughs> what? They, did, they didn't lay a glove on her. And she, and she said... 11 hours. Four, it was 11 hours, yeah. I would say 14. 11 hours. Didn't touch her. Felt like and 14. looked sillier and sillier yeah. and more shrill and more shrill. And she had an answer for everything. That was the real debate. And she looked presidential. I love the way Donald Trump complained he wouldn't do a debate that lasted more than two hours, but she sat through 11 hours 11 of hearings. Hours. But he's the one with the stamina. And he is, <laughs> he is the most, wait, he is the most physically? Yes. Did you see the letter that his doctor released? Oh my God. It's ridiculous. Wow. The, the, the letter basically ends with saying, if elected, he would be the most physically fit president of the United States in history, as if this doctor had examined all of them, you know, at, at some point, right? It, it, was, it, it was like, who wrote, come on, this it can't was, be real. It was clearly written by the Trump campaign. Yeah. I, I was uh, kind of surprised as, as co-worker, was, we were talking about that story, and then they said, CNN reported that if elected, Donald Trump would be the oldest president oh. ever elected. And, you know, there's been so much attention, again, on Hillary Clinton, oh, she would be, you know, one of the older ones. I, you know, Trump probably is, is doing so much to counteract that even perception by being Mr. 
I'm healthy and... Yes, he's full of youthful charisma. Yeah. Yes, okay. Well, uh, let's move on to another topic. We'll get back to some more of those questions uh, when we're doing a bit of a roundup on politics later. But uh, President Barack Obama is reportedly having his staff uh, develop gun control measures that he can push through as executive actions without having to go through the legislative uh, sausage-making machine. Um, I wanted to get into, I mean, there's a, a lot of stuff going on right now with, with gun violence as well as police shootings. So I want to see if I can kind of talk about both of those, if you will, in one section, and maybe starting with the police shootings, because here in San Francisco, there are some calls for uh, the police chief to resign over a shooting. Uh, what was it, five officers and, and uh, 16 bullets or something like that with a guy who was armed with a knife. Um, and of course, in Chicago, we see uh, there have been daily protests uh, demanding Rahm Emanuel uh, step down. He's the mayor there uh, over a shooting that there was, this, what was it? They, they had basically sat on a video that showed, that contradicted the, uh, what the police officers had reported about that, that incident. Um, I don't know how to ask this beyond, is this, a, a, this is going to be a live topic for some time. I mean, this is getting, to the heart of fear of crime, of our relationship with the police, as well as our relationship with guns. I mean, I'll start with you, Josh, because you had a story this week about California has, ha is having a record-breaking year in gun sales. Right. We, we, we had conducted, uh, the FBI, I should say, had conducted more background checks for gun purchases from California by the end of November than it had in all of last year, and last year was the record-setting year. So we've already exceeded, you know, we're, we're, we've already bought more guns in this state this year, basically. Uh, and, and, and December is usually the, the strongest sales month of the year, because what says Christmas? Like, <laughs> you know. So, uh, <laughs> so, so if you talk to the trade group for firearms dealers, they say, yeah, you know, people are buying because they, they feel like if they're going to exercise this right, they'd better do it now before there are more restrictions, because every year brings more either state or federal restrictions. And the, the gun control people, I talked to some people from, from the Brady campaign, and they said, it just shows that law-abiding people can still buy their guns. You know, we have the strictest gun control laws in the country here, uh, and people can still go out and buy a record-breaking number of guns, so that's fine. You know, they're abiding by the law. It's all good. That sort of glosses over the fact that the four firearms used in the San Bernardino shooting a few weeks ago were all legally purchased here in California. Now, the rifles were modified after purchase, uh, they were, you know, f uh, swapped in with, with bigger magazines, and they had some, some pistol and front grips attached, stuff like that, that, that made them illegal under the state's assault weapons law. And it's still not clear how they got from the buyer to the two shooters. There, there was a, a, a middleman in between that they're still maybe preparing charges against. But the fact is, we do have the strongest gun control laws in the country. We don't have a background check loophole here. No transfer can be legally made, even from person to person, without a federally licensed firearms dealer as a middle person. And yet, you know, this stuff shows up at crime scenes. You know, Mother you know, Jones so. did, a, did a survey on mass shootings and the number of mass shootings. First of all, I found, as we should know, the United States has a third more mass shootings than anyone. But the other thing, one of the other things they found out was that 80% of the guns used in mass shootings were purchased illegally. 
and that for as concerned as we are about assault weapons, and obviously who needs an assault weapon, we don't need an assault weapon, the majority of those killings were done with handguns also. So it's a, it's a sticky problem, and it's going to be really difficult, and I know we all want to have some kind of control, and we say it over and over and over, this has happened with something has to be done, but what we, what we need to do is going to be really difficult to come up with. One of the uh, uh, things that the Democratic, uh, Democratic candidates in particular, Hillary Clinton has been uh, talking about this, but others have as well, uh, the issue of, you know, should you deny guns to someone who isn't allowed on to fly in a plane? You know, anyone on the no-fly list. Um, and uh, I guess the governor of Connecticut has said uh, that's what he's, you know, he's going to implement that in his state. Melissa, what... What can be done legally, especially if, like, you're President Obama and you know you're not getting anything through Congress? Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Every time one of these happens, you go, oh, you congressmen are cowards. Well, they're, yeah, I mean, kind of, but, but, but <laughs> they're, they're responding to their constituency, right? If their constituents demanded gun control, and it's not, just, it's not the same thing as wanting gun control, it's voting on it. Um, then they would change their tune or they would there would be a new representative, right? So, so I mean, I don't want to just go down the path of like blaming, you know, Congress people who are in the pocket of the NRA. The truth is if voters wanted more gun control in these districts, that's what would happen, right? So, um, so let's just, you know, I just want to be careful about like just blaming the politicians, which I'd love to do and I would love to do, but, but, but the simple fact is it has to do with the voters. Um, the... No fly list thing is so fascinating. And I just want to warn you, I'm about to bring some like varsity level cynicism to what to this topic. Because here's the thing. I don't think Democrats really care one way or the other about like the no fly list versus gun control. The truth is the shooters in Santa Bernardino, there's no evidence that they were on a no fly list. It's we're not fixing that. But here's what they do kind of brilliantly and I'm kind of I'm kind of in awe of it. Here's what the no-fly list thing does. Number one, it, it demands that folks who are, who are not in favor of gun control, mostly Republicans, but, you know, there's some wiggle room there. Folks who are not in favor of gun control have to say the following. I think it's okay if someone's on the no-fly list to get a gun. <laughs> like, that is a really crazy thing to say. Uh, and for the casual observer, they're like, hey, wait a minute, what are you saying? That is a, that is a political campaign advertisement, like, right there. Boom, I'm a Democrat. This is what this is the thing that your Republican incumbent is saying, right? It's a it's an easy, easy soundbite. The second thing that it does is that it backs Republicans into a corner where they have to admit, and again, I don't mean all Republicans, but where they have to admit that the no-fly list is somewhat wrong. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Right? We don't get it right all the time. 
And when your whole thing is, let's get more of it, let's get more of CIA, FBI, State Department involved in refugees, involved in tourist visas, involved in all of this, we have to admit now that it's kind of wrong, that we don't always get it right. And so this is kind of a little Democratic Party jujitsu that they're doing here. I don't think necessarily that they, uh, you know, maybe they do want the no-fly list to folks to not get gun to not get guns, but but to focus on this, which is weird, which is like not necessarily on like the top ten list of what of what Democrats have traditionally wanted, is really in many ways just trying to back Republicans into a corner into saying some things and into weakening their argument about national security. So, uh, you know, you know, when you see President Obama going on and on about this, there's no excuse for this. Well, maybe a little bit. In 2014, a judge in Oregon, a federal judge in Oregon, ruled that it is unconstitutional, this no-fly list, because you don't know how you get on it and you don't know how to get off of it. <laughs> and there was, for example, one of the plaintiffs in the case was a Marine who had lived in Egypt with his family for a couple of years and was trying to come back to the United States. And this is a U.S. Marine not permitted to come back to the United States because he was on this crazy no-fly list and he couldn't figure out how to get off of it. And the ACLU brought a lawsuit and the federal judge said, nope, this is unconstitutional. She called it Kafka-esque, the, the procedure for getting off this fly list. And so what it has done is weirdly exposed how crazy this no fly list is and back some Republicans into a corner. It is a very, very, very political move for the Democrats to say, we want this no fly list gun control thing. And by the way, there's already gonna be a lawsuit against the governor of Connecticut because the no-fly list, if the no-fly list is unconstitutional, then saying nobody on the no-fly list gets guns is doubly constitutional. And that is something I learned at law school. That's definitely <laughs> so, so there's already going to be a problem there. So there's some limits on it. Again, the no-fly list is not at all perfect. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the issue of police shootings. I'm, I realize I'm shifting within yeah. the general topic here. But uh, after the shootings here in, in uh, San Francisco, or shooting. Uh, Chuck, there's been renewed talk about the San Francisco Police Department wanting to use tasers, and uh, that's quite still, it's always been a controversial thing. It Tell us about been, yeah. that. What? Well, uh, the first thing I would say, Mario Williams was shot 15 or 16 times, and when I see that video, that doesn't work for me. I, I'm, not, I'm not buying that. There were five cops there, they had their guns out, they had them pointed at him, he started, he seemed like he was bent over, he seemed like he was distraught, he had, it's an eight inch knife, but that includes the handle, so it's not, it was a kitchen knife. And he started to move out, and the officer moved in front of him, and then said he was threatened, and they shot him 16 times. That, you know, up until now, I've been pretty smug, you know, I mean, all these small towns, Ferguson, Missouri, who knows what they're doing over there, it's probably a bunch of rednecks, you know, in Chicago, we all know about Chicago, but this is San Francisco. They shot this guy 16 times. There had to be a better way. You know, I, the, the guy who used to be the captain of the Tenderloin was Joe Garrity. Joe Garrity played football at San Francisco State when they had a football team. He had a cup of coffee with the Dallas Cowboys. He played linebacker. He took down two guys with knives at different times and arrested. Now, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but he did it. And that guy those guys weren't dead when they finished. But I understand when you're threatened. I understand when you feel threatened. I understand that the, the situation escalates. I understand that you start to think, I'm gonna to have to do something here, but I would rather you would do it with a taser. And it has to be. I mean, it has to be. 
have Gregser gritting his teeth that the same people who told him he couldn't have a taser, and he asked over and over, and they finally put so many restrictions on it, he said, you know what, just forget it, it's useless. He only wanted to give them to 75 guys who were, who were um, enforcement control, who were people who were negotiators. He only wanted to give them to those guys, not to everybody. And they still wouldn't let him have them. And now, to have this shooting take place and have them come to him and say, you need to find a better way of disabling us. I offered one. I have one. I understand it's dangerous, but so shooting someone 16 times. And I just, for the life, and I don't understand why he didn't put the knife down. I, I get that. I know he should have put the knife down. People are getting shot, not putting the weapon down. He should have. But there's a better way than to shoot him. 16 times. That's not San Francisco. And come on, we've got to find a better way. That's, okay, that's my rant for the day. Sorry. I'm, okay, I'm done. Okay, thanks. thanks. All right, I'm leaving. I'm going to go now. Uh, someone in the audience at, points out that, you know, these police shootings often involve people who are resisting arrest. Um, isn't this a teachable moment, if you will, uh, to people in not resisting arrest? Um, is there any lessons people can at least learn to make this, that we talk a lot about what police should be doing differently. What about people if they find themselves in this horrible situation? Sure, yes, but resisting arrest isn't a capital crime. I mean, you know, there, there has to be a, a continuum, <laughs> some sort of spectrum of, of force, and there has to be a way to de-escalate situations like this. And maybe the taser's the answer. In Britain, uh, where the, the cops don't carry guns, most of the time, you know, there's footage of a guy running around with a machete and they all came in with riot shields and surrounded him and subdued him, right? It takes a little more work, takes a little more time, but like Chuck said, nobody's dead at the end, you know? So, I mean, yes, you know, we, <laughs> talk with your kids, tell them not to resist arrest, but, you know, let, let's, let's also have a situation where, where that's not punished by death. Did any of you see the video of the man in a London subway yeah, he, and he, he was wielding a knife, and uh, he was tasered, and she's still alive. Um, it was also funny because the Londoners around, funny, you know, forgive this, but I mean, still, they were then mocking the guy, meaning, you know, you're, you're no Muslim bro, you know. It, 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 I think, showed a little bit, actually, I think perhaps a healthier attitude than the sudden fear I'm going to... Uh, you know, change everything about the thing and just realize that this guy was a loser and they got him. Well, let's move on. You're listening, by the way, for folks who are uh, listening remotely, you're listening to the Commonwealth Club of California's week-to-week -week political roundtable program featuring panelists C.W. Nevius, Josh Richmond, and Melissa Kane. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, if we could briefly, the Paris Climate Accord. Um, Governor Brown, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, and other California political and business leaders were, or still are, I don't know, in Paris for this climate summit. I guess this past Saturday they signed it. Now, those people didn't actually have any role to play in this. They're, they're what's called, you know, sub-national leaders. And of course, the, the climate summit was about the President Obamas and the Angela Merkels and, and those folks, you know, making agreements on the basis of their entire country. But... Uh, Melissa, some of the president's supporters are calling the climate deal Obama's biggest achievement. First, is that a valid claim? And second, should California voters and taxpayers be upset about footing the bill for Brown and others who are going over there and having some very good French dinners, I'm told? <laughs> 
Well, you can't blame him for wanting to get out of Sacramento. You don't really <laughs> blame him for that. Oh, Paris. Yes, I will. Yes, yeah, we will go to that. That Paris. sounds like a good thing that I should put on If my you're listening agenda. to this in Sacramento, we <laughs> apologize. <laughs> We're sorry you're in Sacramento. Uh, <laughs> You can know, you know, send your letters to I'm a very, no, Once again, my views do not reflect. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, thank you. The opinions of the speakers are not necessarily those. Really, I'm, I'm going for three. Just, just so you know, I'm yeah. going for three. Okay. Uh, so here's the thing. Um, President Obama is in, you know, he's in Paris, and people in his, his administration are trying to negotiate, you know, their part of this deal. And, um, and of course, the Republicans back in the U.S. have made it very clear that they are going to, like, defund everything he tries to do. They're going to try to oppose everything he tries to do. And I will read this to you. My husband says you will get this. I'm not sure. I didn't get it, but I'll just read it to you. He said, it's like trying to be a quarterback when you have the 49ers offensive line. Wow. You were right. They got wow. it. Wow. Um, so, look, so Obama's over there, you know, and his folks are over there, and they're trying to negotiate this thing. And there's just, you know, all this negativity coming from the offensive line back in, back in the U.S. And so I think it, for his administration, it was a good thing to have folks from the eighth largest economy in the world, right? 38 million people, Hollywood, Silicon Valley. I don't care what the Republicans say. We're committed. We're going to do this. I think for him and for them, it means a lot. And I think that Jerry Brown would be very offended to hear that he is subnational. Uh, he, <laughs> he has signed agreements. Subnational. He has yeah. signed agreements with cities and states and provinces and whatever you call less than national groups uh, over 20 different continents. Um, pledging to reduce carbon emissions. In Paris, he actually signed an agreement with 20 other, again, states and countries to stop selling cars that have any emissions by 2050. So he is over there signing agreements. There you go. <laughs> so he There's is a, signing agreements on behalf of the, Tesla dealer, the Republican. The way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's over there signing agreements on behalf of the Republic of California. Uh, and while they're not binding just yet, he is probably going to look to the legislature to, to, to make them binding or to a ballot measure. Remember, Jerry Brown has $24 million just sitting around because, you know, he didn't spend any money getting reelected. So he's got $24 million sitting around and he's got to do something with it, right? He can't run for re-election. So um, ballot measure may be something in the works to deal with to, to deal with carbon emissions. That is something that's clearly on his you know agenda as a legacy project. So the Paris Accords, again, from the Obama administration's standpoint, I think they were happy to have folks there from California. Um, and, but in California specifically, we are, I don't know if you know this, but we are pledged to Norway and Quebec to <laughs> to get, to reduce our carbon emissions a dramatic in a dramatic way, and we might actually there might actually be a way for Governor Brown to make that binding on the state. And I would just say two things: the Washington offensive line is not that good, so <laughs> right? <laughs> That's one. And second, the complaint about Obama was he wasn't he was he was an isolationist that he wasn't reaching out and. By force, we've had to reach out with ISIS and, and, and make some uh, agreements with other countries. We're also doing that with climate change. And I think that's actually a good move on, on his part to show he can be a global leader as well as, I mean, climate change. Who's against climate change? I the mean, pe the people who don't think it exists. Yeah, people that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Those are the, the lunar landing people. Those, right. are, okay. those are the ones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Schwarzenegger was there too, by the way. Just so you know, we had a whole huh. parade of. 
Okay, um, I believe, Josh, you were writing about Martin O'Malley's uh, yes. uh, visit to the Bay Area. Martin O'Malley is... Still in the race. What? <laughs> yes. He was here? He was here. Is he here? Oh, my no, God. He's not, 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 oh, could okay. be. I wouldn't uh, know. But how, how did he go over? Did he say anything? Did he pick up? Did he double his three followers? He or? was fantastic. You really? Know, he, he, he's, he's a really nice guy. He's, he's just terribly earnest. Uh, and know, that's how you know he won't get elected. And that's how you know he won't get elected. <laughs> no, he, he did an event over, over at Cal, and, and he showed up, and there were students waiting, and you know, they all posed for selfies with him, and then the you know, standing room only in an auditorium, about 250 people. Not a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but he was very engaging, and he had you know, some of them come up and do this thing where you, know, you take two steps forward for each you know, percentage of growth that this quintile of the economy saw during, <laughs> it, it took a long time, what? actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was, it was this, this interactive thing he did with students. Students loved it, you know, they, they were like, yeah, we're standing up with Martin O'Malley. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I mean, he was a rock star to them, and, and, and you know, they, he, he was really great. He stopped, <laughs> stopped to talk with them and answer questions and stuff afterward for a long time, uh, did a brief gaggle. Uh, at which I did not ask him, why are you still in this race? <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, when he was here in August, I had a, we, we had talked to him, and he said, you know, those first, the, those first few debates are going to be crucial. It's going to be my time to break out and really get my message out to the public. Well, he's had the first few debates. He's at 5%. It, it, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> Stop trying to make Martin ha O'Malley happen. It ain't going to happen. Um, but, but he said, you know, he, he's, he's in it. Till Iowa, at the very least, because he's put a lot of his eggs in that basket. He, you know, he, he impressed me with a long list of county treasurers who have endorsed him and, and uh, you know, stuff like that. He's, he's, he's trying really, really, really hard. I can't tell if it's because he really thinks that there's going to be a last-minute Martin O'Malley surge, if there's going to be a last-minute Hillary Clinton implosion, or some combination of the two, or if he's gunning for a vice presidential nod or something. I, I don't know, but he's a nice guy. Okay. Well, that was his thing, right? His thing was, I want to debate more debates, more debates. Like, I don't right. want a coronation of Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, and then once, then he had them, and then it was like, oh my. Yeah. He's, a, he's a dog who caught the car. Like, okay, what, what do I do with this? There's a lot I've been of this. running and barking, and now I have it, and I don't know what's going on. You'd think he would loosen up. He's in an Irish rock band. I mean, and, and yeah. has been for decades. Yeah. Why you know, isn't that like his, his campaign jam. slogan? You know, it should just... be Martin O'Malley in an Irish yes. rock band. Yes, yeah. people would yeah. vote for that. Oh, uh, you're welcome, Martin yeah. O'Malley. I know you're watching. Yeah. You can use that for free. <laughs> Thank you to our panel, Melissa Kane, Josh Richman, CW Media. Thanks to all of you tonight. It's been great seeing you here, as well as everyone listening oh. online, watching on TV. <laughs> Have a great it's week, so a nice. wonderful holiday Thank season, you. and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in today. For more on us and other programs or podcasts you might have missed, you can head to michellemeow.com. See you all next week. to the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.